Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. In a perfect world, you can go the distance with any person who has sinned against you. Our problem is that we do not live in a perfect world. There are times when all you can do is forgive them, no matter how great it would be to reconcile with them. Here's the point for the podcast. You're not going to be able to reconcile with every person in your life. And I want to talk about that. And that's why I titled the podcast, Four Reasons You Cannot Reconcile with Someone if you would like to listen to, if you'd like to read this podcast, rather, you can go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for that title, Four Reasons You Cannot Reconcile with Someone. It is imperative that you understand this information because you live in the same world that I live in. We live in a fallen world. Things happen. Things happen between two people. And maybe the best that you can do is forgive them or they forgive you, but it is not always possible that you can reconcile. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two critical things, but they are different things. And you can have one without the other, and understanding that is important. Now, the reason that I'm writing this art, that I've written this article, and I'm doing this podcast, is because I wrote another article called Pre Forgiveness. In fact, the full title of that article is Pre Forgiveness Prerequisite Before You Can Forgive Someone. Now, in that article, I talked about the essentialness of having a God centered view and a gospel-shaped humility regarding the evil that happens to us. And what I did in that article, and I have it linked here, by the way, so if you want to read it, you can click inside this one. It'll take you right to that one. You can read it. And if you haven't read it, it's one of the more popular articles on our website. If you haven't read it yet, please read it because you need it. But in that article, I used the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. I went from chapters 38 to 50. And you know the story of Joseph. He was sinned against mightily by his brothers. And the idea of pre-forgiveness is Joseph getting his heart ready. Pre-forgiveness. Getting his heart ready to forgive his brothers per chance that ever happened. And then also use a case study about a marriage that went through an adulterous relationship between the husband and another woman. In both of those illustrations, I brought them to the point of reconciliation. I brought Joseph to that point to where he could potentially reconcile with his brothers, and I brought this husband and wife to the point to where they too could potentially reconcile. Now, in those two cases, they were able to reconcile, but that article on pre-forgiveness, it was about forgiveness. It wasn't about reconciliation. And there's a critical difference between those two necessities, forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, some of my readers, they read that article, and some of them jumped to the conclusion that all broken relationships end in reconciliation if the offended person, the victim, like Joseph or the wife of the adulterous man, is willing to reconcile 
that's the conclusion that they jump to. If the person's willing to reconcile, they can reconcile. And that's not necessarily true. And then other readers, they didn't make that jump. But what they did ask is, how do you respond to a person who doesn't want to reconcile, even when the offended person is ready to do so with them? Now, because we live in a fallen world, we have to make room for the possibility of not being able to reconcile with every individual that sins against you. Now, in this podcast, I want to talk about four reasons why this outcome may happen to you. Again, if you want to read it, go to our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T. You can type in this title or some portion of this title, four reasons, type it in the search box, four reasons you cannot reconcile with someone. Now, before I get into these reasons, I want to start, well, I want to start at the perfect place. The best place to start talking about the impossibility of reconciliation is with Jesus, because he was perfect in every way. And unlike us, he never sinned against anyone. He never had to get his heart right with God to forgive or to seek reconciliation with someone. If anyone had the perfect chance to be reconciled with an offending person, it was Christ. He created no barriers between himself and those who needed to make right what they did wrong. Jesus understood how others sinned against him, and he developed a plan with his Father so sinners could reconcile with him. And so he came to our planet and he positioned himself to restore any relationship that wanted restoration. Still yet, he was not able to reconcile with everyone. And that's why it's important for you to understand this. If Jesus couldn't reconcile with everybody, you're probably not going to be able to reconcile with everybody as well. People walked away from Christ. Other people openly mocked him. And though he was innocent, victim, some people conspired against him and eventually put him to death. Here's the fundamental idea that I want you to get as I begin this podcast on four reasons why someone, why you cannot reconcile with someone. Here's the fundamental idea. Regardless of how perfect Jesus was, there were individuals unwilling to make things right with him. Well, let's bring it down to another level. Paul for example, the great apostle. He was one of the most passionate Christians ever to live, but he, like Christ, could not reconcile with all those that he had offended. Here's the key. I mean, a big key. It takes two believers. And this is why Paul would say, as much as it depends upon you, do all that you can possibly do. But the implication is clear. There's a responsibility on another person. When sin happens between two people, regardless of who the offender is or the offended is, both of them have a God-centered, humble responsibility to respond to God and to each other. It takes two believers willing to humble themselves before the Lord and each other 
if they want authentic reconciliation. And that is the problem, but that is also the power of the gospel. It can happen, but it must be a work of God, moving the heart of the person who sinned as well as those whom the individual sinned against. When it came to Paul's situation, initially they were suspicious of him for legitimate reasons. But as time went by and the evidence of his repentance was perceived by many, he was accepted by those that he had previously offended. But it gets better than that. Today, Paul's reconciliation with those that he offended is eternal He will never be unreconciled with them again. The murderer and the murdered are fully reconciled and worshiping Jesus. Yes, that is the power of the gospel. There is grace for forgiveness, and there is grace for reconciliation when the offended and the offender are willing to access and appropriate that grace. Jesus and Paul had moderate but not a complete success when it came to reconciling with others. And we do not consider them spiritual failures by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I want you to soak on that thought for just a moment. It's critical for you to know that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same things. They are contiguous in that they are joined to each other. One follows the other. Reconciliation comes after forgiveness, but they are not the same thing. Perhaps you have heard the term ordo salutis, which means order of salvation. It talks about our salvation, and the idea is that our salvation has component parts to it, like regeneration and sanctification and glorification. Those are three component parts to salvation, the order of of salvation or ordo salutis. Well, this idea of repentance, transformation, it has aspects, it has component parts to it as well. Now, I'm not going to walk through the 13 steps of repentance as I have written them out. I do have an article linked here. It's titled Inside This Article, The Doctrine of Repentance. And if you want to read those 13 steps of repentance, which forgiveness and reconciliation are two parts of those 13 steps. You can read all about it in that article. But for this podcast, I want to talk about some of the elements that are involved before you can reconcile with another person. I want to help clarify each individual's responsibility in reconciling when a sin event has happened. And so maybe you can think about someone that you have sinned against recently or someone who has sinned against you. That would be the perfect way to think about this podcast and this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. And I want to walk through some elements here for you to think about, and perhaps you will be able to perceive why Well, maybe it's not possible to reconcile with everybody. But first, I want you to note these two cake these two key ideas. If there is a breakdown, this is key idea number one, if there is a breakdown at any point in the process that I'm going to lay out for you, the individuals involved in that sin event, 
they will not be able to reconcile. So as I lay out this process for you, if there is a breakdown, you can't reconcile. Key idea number two, there is equal responsibility on the offender and the offended. Now, I've already said this before, but it is important to reiterate because sometimes we, especially victims of sin, victims, the offended people, the offended parties of sin, sometimes they, well, many times maybe, they don't understand their responsibility in the reconciliation process. And so here's the two critical ideas. If there is a breakdown, regardless of which individual we're talking about, you can't reconcile. Point number two, there is equal responsibility on the offender and the offended. All right, so let's walk through this process, and I want to build a case as to why there are times when you can't reconcile with another person. Step one, I'll, I will list this in steps, and what I will end up doing is I'll, I'll go uh, through seven steps that lead up to reconciliation. Step number one is sin. Now, sin is the only negative on the list, of course. Sin is the reason that you have to go through this process. Someone has sinned against another person, which has severed the relationship. That's why you want to reconcile. But in order to reconcile, you have to understand this process. And so you can look at sin, maybe like a knife that comes in and it, it cuts one thing, a union, it cuts it into two halves, and now they are separated. This is the negative. This is the reason you have to go through the process, step number one. Step number two is guilt. All right, a person sins and they are guilty before God. We don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. You sin, you're guilty. Boom. Period. That's it. We don't make the rules, but we are called to abide by them, and it's irrelevant, honestly, whether you like it or not. The Bible lays out the rules, and if you transgress them, you are guilty before the rule giver. Guilt is not negotiable. It's kind of like gravity. It's an unalterable law. You jump off your roof of your home, you're going down. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It's just non-negotiable. If you cross the line, if you transgress, you're guilty. And there is a requirement for you to respond to what you did wrong righteously. You need to respond righteously. So step number one, sin happens. Step number two, you're guilty before God. Step number three, now this is where it gets tricky, conviction. Because you don't feel guilt, the guilt that I was talking about earlier is not a feeling. Conviction is. And because you don't feel guilt, it is imperative for you to be able to feel your wrongness. Now, this point is where conviction becomes mercy from the Lord. You realize and you feel that you have done something wrong. At this point, you should respond to his mercy. But that is not always the case. Some people do not respond when they feel the Spirit's conviction in their consciences. And if they continue to resist this conviction, their consciences will begin a hardening process. 
This hardening process happens as they willfully blame, justify, rationalize the conviction they experience from the Lord. And if this happens, they will not have the possibility of reconciling with God or the other person who has experienced their sin. And so one of the reasons that a person cannot reconcile is this idea of conviction. This stubborn posture before God and before others is one of the places that makes reconciliation impossible. If a person doesn't respond to God's conviction, they can't remove their sin, and they cannot reconcile to the person that they have offended. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions here as you think about this. How sensitive are you to the Spirit's conviction? Do you feel conviction when you do wrong? And then question number two, how quick are you to own your sin against God and against others? I titled the podcast, Four Reasons You Cannot Reconcile with Someone. Well, here's point number one. You don't feel and respond to conviction. So here's the process. You sin. You're guilty before God. The Spirit of God is grieved and quenched, and you experience conviction. This is a huge juncture for you. And then step number four, let's say that you are sensitive to the Spirit's conviction, and you are responding to the wrong that you have done. Step four is confession. If the offender does respond to the conviction they experience from God, the next step is for them to agree with God and with any other person or persons that they have offended. Now, as you know, the word confession means to agree. If they do agree, they are ready to receive forgiveness from God and from the other person. Now, in this illustration, I am assuming someone, in addition to the Lord, was inside the sphere of sin. And so let's say that you sinned against someone. That means you sinned against God and you sinned against another individual. That other individual is within this sphere of sin. The fundamental principle in play here is that the sphere of the offense, the sphere of sin, determines the sphere of confession, meaning all the people that the person sinned against represents all the people who need to experience the confession from the offender. And so you have to identify how many people are within the sphere of the sin that I have just committed. Now, this aspect here, this aspect of confession, is the second place that can keep reconciliation from happening. It is possible to experience the conviction of the Lord, but not follow through by confessing the sin to all those who were offended. And so under this second point, second reason that reconciliation doesn't happen, let me ask you a couple of questions. Question number one, are you clear on the sphere of the offense and the sphere of confession? Do you see those things clearly? Do you examine how many people, maybe one of the ways that I illustrated in one of my webinars, it's like there are people walking down the sidewalk in white sheets after a rainy day, and you come along in your automobile and you hit a mud puddle and it splashes on those three or four people. 
meaning you sinned against three or four people. That's the sphere of offense and the sphere of confession. So you go to those three or four people because you splattered all over them, and you confess your sins. So are you clear on the sphere of offense and the sphere of confession? And then question number two, do you follow through by confessing your sins to God and others? And so one reason a person will not reconcile is because conviction. They're not sensitive to the conviction of the Spirit of God. Another reason that a person will not reconcile is because of confession. They have weak sin categories. They don't understand their sphere of offense. They don't understand their sphere of confession, or they're not willing to follow through and ask, actively ask God and others to forgive them. And so step number one, sin happens. Step number two, you're guilty before God. Step number three, you experience conviction. Step number four, then you begin confession. And then step number five is pre-forgiveness. Now again, I've, I've discussed this concept of pre-forgiveness at length, and so I'll not repeat that information. You can read that article if you wish. If the offender the offending person has successfully navigated through and accomplished the first four steps, sin, guilt, conviction, confession, then it's time for the offended person, the victim, to step up to the plate. Reconciliation has yet to happen. What the offender has accomplished are the following four things. He has sinned against God, and he sinned against you. Number two, he's guilty before God, regardless of whether he owns it or not. Number three, he has experienced the Lord's conviction, and he did not want to harden his heart. Very good for him. And then number four, he has confessed his sin to God and to you. Now we're at step number five, pre-forgiveness. At this point, you should be willing, ready, and empowered to forgive him. Pre-forgiveness. You're like Joseph waiting on his brothers. The adulteress or the victim of the adulterous husband waiting on her husband to walk through this process. And while he is working through the first four steps, sin, guilt, conviction, confession, you should be working through the next three things that I'm laying out for you so you can receive him when he comes to you asking for forgiveness. Not being ready to forgive a person who is asking for forgiveness is another instance that will keep reconciliation from happening. Do you see how the onus is not just on the offender? The victim has a responsibility here. I think some people place the primary responsibility of reconciling exclusively on the offender while not realizing how hard it is to be willing to forgive. The offender can most certainly mess up the possibility of reconciliation in steps one through four that I have laid out here, but the offended can keep reconciliation from happening by not being willing to work through the forgiveness elements here are the forgiveness elements. Pre-forgiveness, as I've been talking about. Forgiveness, when you actually transact it. And post-forgiveness. 
post-forgiveness is, you will know post-forgiveness if you're truly over it, meaning you can talk about it in non-punitive ways. And so let me ask you a couple of questions under this step here, pre-forgiveness. Number one, do you hold resentment in your heart that hinders reconciliation with someone? Think about it for a moment. Do you hold resentment? Are there slivers of resentment in your heart that hinder you from reconciling with someone? It is true that they will not be able to reconcile with you if they do not experience conviction from the Lord. It is true that they will not be able to reconcile with you if they don't agree, if they don't confess, if they don't ask. But it's also true that they will not be able to reconcile with you if you are holding on to resentment. Do you? Question number two, is there anything you need to change about you so you can reconcile with someone And so the third reason that you may not be able to reconcile is because the victim is unwilling. This is pre-forgiveness under step number five. Step six, forgiveness. Both the offender and the offended are simultaneously and practically preparing their hearts to reconcile. The offender asks for forgiveness and the offended grants it. Just like the sphere of offense... And the sphere of confession, there is also a sphere of forgiveness. And so you determine, how many people did I splash on? That's my sphere of offense. And so I go to all the people that I splashed on. That's my sphere of confession. And now I need forgiveness from all of them. That is my sphere of, uh, sphere of forgiveness. Every person sinned against should hear the confession of the sin from the offender, and all of the offended people should have the opportunity and be willing to grant forgiveness to the offender. Let me ask you a couple of questions under this point. Has someone come to you asking for forgiveness and you have not granted it? Question number two, is it hard for you to grant forgiveness to a repeat offender? Now, I know this is an intricate podcast, and I realize that it can open up a whole lot of questions. You're welcome to come to us and ask those questions if you like. Step number seven, post-forgiveness. The post-forgiveness element is the beginning of what should be the reconciliation of the victim to the offender. If both parties have successfully worked through the previous six steps— The sin is sufficiently dead, obliterated, and removed. This condition is the power of the gospel on our behalf. There is nothing between the offender and all the people who have been offended. Theoretically, there is nothing that should keep them or keep reconciliation from happening. This juncture is the point to where you should be able to hug genuinely. The key to remember is reconciliation is conditional. It takes three individuals to reconcile. God, the offender, and the offended, the victim. The Lord will not force righteousness on anyone. Each of us has to make a choice. If you have been offended, you have a choice to make as to whether you're going to respond in a way that makes God's name great. If you have sinned against someone, you have a choice to make as to whether you're going to reconcile to God and the person you have offended. The process of removing sin and being reconciled is dependent on people humbly responding to God 
and each other. And it can break down at any point along the way. And by the way, in this podcast that's titled Four Reasons You Cannot Reconcile with Someone, I have mentioned four possibilities. Conviction. Here's your question. Are you sensitive to your transgressions? Confession. Are you willing to confess to all those offended? Pre-forgiveness. If you are the victim, will you ready your heart to forgive? And then forgiveness. Are you both willing to forgive and move forward to post-forgiveness? Now, in some situations, you can go beyond reconciliation. You can work toward restoring the person who has sinned when sin happens. This opportunity is not always possible or necessary as far as restoration, post-reconciliation, but it can occur. For example, two Christian spouses should always be willing to move beyond reconciliation by pursuing the reciprocal restoration of each other. As you think through this podcast, I want you to spend time reflecting on, I've asked you eight questions in this podcast, two questions under each one of these things that will hinder reconciliation. Will you think through them? Will you consider the people that within your sphere of influence? How do you need to respond to them? How do they need to respond to you? I know that this can be a can of worms for some people. I understand that because sin is not neatly packaged in a 30-minute podcast. And so if you want to talk about this, please come to our website, get your username, your password, make sure you're logged in, ask your questions, and we would love to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.